Welcome back to Potterfic Weekly Exchange. Because I refuse to say Poofwa, because I think that's stupid. This is Rena, and I'm Lady Chi, and we have a special guest with us tonight. It is the lovely Cleo Linda Jones from Live Journal Fame. Say hello to the lovely people. Hey guys! Oh my God, I want you to know that I wreck your um, Breaking Dawn commentary to like everybody on my list on Live Journal. <laughs> oh, so I think I that's think what like- happened to everyone. I mean, everybody started linking to it, and. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that you're watched in the community has gone through the roof since that started. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's sick of me right now. I'm I'm sure they're absolutely just tired of hearing about it. So, of course, I went and, you know, did another recap just in case, you know, I hadn't completely worn out my welcome. <laughs> it, it, had, it, it got great reviews as well. Everybody loved it. I think it's I'm just stunned that like nobody has trooped over to my journal with the pitchforks and the torches. And I think that's because on some level, know, the fans have all realized how ridiculous that whole. Well, it may also I mean, be that I have anonymous commenting disabled. So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a big part of it. There are very few people who would be angry enough to actually register for live journal and, <laughs> and go through it that way. I had and, a couple people who did, but this was a news post I did and told me to, you know, very, very politely, you know, please never, ever mention Twilight again if all you're going to do is be snarky. I would really appreciate it if you don't read the new book and if you never go see the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can give you links to this. I mean, I was just like, I think you would enjoy another journal a bit more than this, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the thing that I think it's so funny about, like, rants that people post and then people get irate. It's like, if you don't like what they're reading, then just go somewhere else. That's what I, that's what I tell flamers, you know. If you don't like what I'm writing, don't waste my time. Go somewhere else. <laughs> There's plenty of people that write what you want to read. Yeah. I just yeah. thought that they were asking me to just don't don't even go see the movie. Just whatever you do, <laughs> never well, watch the news again ever. Okay. <laughs> oh, All no. right, I'll just go sit in my little plastic bubble now. Thank you for telling me how to live my life. I appreciate it. It's just kind of, it's kind of interesting how people get um, upset over things that aren't worth it. <laughs> aren't worth it. There you but go. Going to another website or turning off the computer and, you know, I think my two favorite flames of all time, and I think this was back before I had disabled commenting, uh, anonymous commenting, someone, this was actually for Harry Potter, prisoner of uh, Azkaban in, you know, 15 minutes. This was like four years ago. And I had made, you know, kind of went through each pairing and made a little, you know, yay, shipper joke, you know, hey. Yeah. Uh And so, you know, one of them was Harry Draco. And so somebody came in and was all like, you fag. And I was like, "Um, that's not even correct. Yeah. (laughs) It's not even the right gender if you're going to go there. Okay. And can't even insult me, you know. Correctly, there you go. And so somebody else said I should be put down. <laughs> Are you oh, Lord. Put down. Wow. That's just, yeah, I think I they're, say, they're still there. <laughs> I just don't get it because, like, those commentaries probably are about the funniest thing since sliced bread. They're so, like, Aww. they just see, you know, you can tell you kind of enjoyed the stories, but they see all the weaknesses in the in the prose and kind of the obvious stuff and just kind of really make you laugh, you know. Because I think you, even as a fan of something, you have to realize the absurdity. that not everything is perfect and, yeah, the absurdity of some of the things that, J.K. Rowling kind of shoved down our throats from time to time. So that was cool. Well, and you can't spend that much time if you don't have some kind of enthusiasm for it on some level. Right. Right. 
I mean, I could probably do something on disaster movie, but good God, who would want to, you know? I mean, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> who would want to spend that much time? Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to waste that kind of effort just for a couple of laughs, you know? And That's I mean, honestly, well, I mean, and I think it's kind of interesting because I know that your other writing project that you work on is not comedic at all. Yeah, I don't think I really, well, I wrote something that was supposed to be like a, you know, comic essay in, I guess, high school. But I mean, it was just something I wrote for fun. The The first, the Van Helsing one, just, I think it was May 2004, just, you know, to have something to put on Live Journal. It I thought of myself as like a short story novel, you know, fiction writer. I didn't think of myself as anything like that at all. And so it was just really bizarre that like the first book in my life only so far that I would get published would, would be this. You know, that was that wasn't how I saw my life unfolding at all. Right. Oh, are you are you uh, are you are you getting published? Do you have a book? I'm sorry, I'm not. I just have read your uh, essays. I haven't. <laughs> it's really the been. movies in fifteen minutes book, and it was published uh, three years ago. Two thousand and five. Right? Yeah, two thousand five. Three years yeah, ago, October, I think. And yeah. it, it didn't come out in the United States. I'm in Alabama, by the way, which is what makes this so funny. But it was <laughs> uh, published by Orion Books in the UK, and it was published internationally and except for North America. And it's a huge, yeah. long ordeal of a story, but it's everywhere but where I live, basically. So there's a ton of people who've had to order it from overseas, which, I mean, I so appreciate people going to that, you know, extra effort to do that. And a lot of people have said, I'm going to wait till it comes to the United States. And I'm like, you might not want to do that because <laughs> I don't know that it will. I don't know yeah. that it'll ever get here. Yeah. Yeah. But that uh, would be nice, My sister though. sent me a copy. My sister moved to London in June, and she said, I told her about it, and I was like, if you see this book, buy it for me. And so she sent me a copy the other day, and she said oh, she like, flipped through it before she mailed it, and she was like, where did you find this? Yeah. Causes some problems. And we're very glad that you agreed to do this interview. Yeah. <laughs> I keep forgetting that you can't see my face and you can't see me nodding along going, uh-huh, uh-huh. You, you can't see that. Or my mouth oh, is that- going, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. They had, we had that problem. Like, when Ryan and I first did the, when we first started out the, the podcast, it was so serious. And we were so serious about, we wanted to make sure we covered every single topic. And we wanted to make sure we dotted every I and crossed every T. And we were so careful and so methodical about everything. And then we and then would... Chi and Jen happened. That's what's happened. That well, was the problem. No, <laughs> what started it was that I would, you know good listening skills you're supposed to acknowledge to someone who's talking that they're actually saying something and ryan has this little tendency to monologue and so i would be like "Uh uh-huh yeah uh uh-huh uh-huh and so one episode he actually like he said something and i made a fart noise at him and so then he he in editing he went through and every time i said "Uh uh-huh on the recording he put it in so it'd be like he would make a point i'd be like And that's how he released it, and that marked the beginning of our, our downward spiral. <laughs> yep, but, yep. Okay, to kind of yank this back on track, um, one of the other things that I uh, remembered when I was thinking about stuff to talk about is that you, uh, you Cleo, did a lot of work on the uh, Lexicon Gate. Oh, yeah. You did a lot of cataloging on that, and now the Lexicon is gone. <laughs> 
Now, my understanding on that is that they are moving to a, oh God, it's been so long, um, a different server, a different URL, I think. They, they didn't like flounce off or anything, as far as I know. It's a legitimate, like, hosting transition kind of thing. Okay. I really? think that was like a big shock for a lot of people on the forum because all of a sudden it was just gone. Yeah, that was one of the contested issues of who who owned what. And I, I don't know anything at this point. This is, you know, just pure speculation, but I really feel like it's a transition. I don't I don't think it's them taking their toys and going home or anything. Right. But you did a lot of cataloging that um, why did you want to, why did you get involved with that, with the cataloging? I was about to say, you know, God knows why I did that. Um, it just... <laughs> It got to this point where I can't remember if I was like the first person. I want to say it started out with a fandom lounge post and just the whole copyright issue, I guess, because I approach it from a writer's perspective and then a fan's perspective. Mm -hmm. It just seemed like there were actual, I don't say there were actual issues at stake, but I mean, it wasn't, you know, somebody. It was more important than just, you know, please send me lip gloss. My, you know, my cat, you know, didn't actually die. You know, it's one of those. It seemed like there was actually kind of something going on, and I kind of wanted to make sure it didn't just kind of go on really unpleasant personal tangents. And and I e- even I didn't stick to that always. You know, there, there were a couple of times, I think early on, it was like, is it true that they have an anti-Harry Ginny bias? Because, you know, people were leaving me all these links, and I kind of thought later, you know, that that's not the kind of thing you wanted to talk about in the first place. Why did you post that? But... Um, it got to this point where because I had done it two or three times, everybody was like, oh, I hope Cleo knows about this new thing so that she can come post it. And I was like, you guys could do that if you, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think somebody else posted just some really flagrant grudge wank about, I can't even remember what. And everybody was like, lurk more, lurk more. So I, I was kind of, you know, the official cataloger at that point. And I think it's because also what I do on my live journal is, you know, kind of the link spam thing where I'm used to reading a bunch of stuff and then pulling the most, I don't want to say important, but relevant. The actual, (laughs) the the actual, you know, word is slipping my mind, but you know, relevant. Okay. That, that'll work. And, um, you know, kind of condensing things down to that and, you know, pulling out, you know, and so I thought, well, you know, I could, I'm used to doing this kind of thing. I could, probably do a pretty good job with it. So it's just one of those things where, you know, you're into five months of this and you go, oh my God, why did, how did I get started doing this? <laughs> you know, you just kind of go, how did we end up here? Of course, I also didn't think it was going to go on for like, I think it started like November the 1st of last year. I think so. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the trial was like May the 14th. I mean, it was just like, nobody yeah, just never going to be there. For seven yeah. months. Oh, my God. Nobody expected that. So, But yeah. once you start, you're like, well, I guess I'll just see it through till you You're know, committed. <laughs> when it's finally over. So, yeah. yeah. You know, and you think, so, kidding, we could be waiting that long for a, you know, decision. So, yeah. Which, given the state of the American legal system, is a legitimate fear. Well, and I think <laughs> that's also, very true. The judge has... I don't think he's actually said, I don't want to be the one to make the decision, but he's come pretty close to saying, you know, could we settle this out of court? I don't want, you know, this to be a precedent. And you can tell he's very reluctant to be, you know, to be the one to make the decision. Well, any decision that he makes is going to be is going to be contested by the other side. 
I think. Yeah. And it's going to go on I mean, forever. Anyway. It's going to, it's never, it's never ever going to end. She's got, I think, she, I think she's going to win. I think she has a better case to be quite honest with you. She stated for the record, she was going to do an encyclopedia. Next thing you know, Vander Ark's, you know, got a contract to do an encyclopedia. Well, I, it's not that she needs the money, but as another author, I can see, I, I can see her frustration, you know, like, and given that parts of the lexicon were not terribly accurate. Well, I don't to know. me, part of the problem was in itself the way it started. And you can, I can almost like trace it specifically to the moment where it just went out of control. And it was when they said, we gave you permission to, or, you know, J.K. Rowling and her lawyers and whoever it was said, you know, we gave you permission to use the text from Fantastic Beasts and whatever, Quidditch and whatever the two books were. Are you going to use these texts, which we don't think you should be able to, in the book itself? And they're not. But, you know, RDR had this moment of, we're not going to give you the the manuscript. We're not going to give you the book. And it's like, why aren't you going to give it to us? Well, because... The website is the book. Just print out the website. I mean, he actually said, just print out the website. And I I think this was quoted on the Leaky Cauldron when um, Melissa talked to Richard Harris was the spokesman's name. That's I just I still can't remember that. And so, you know, he said, how would that help us to give them the book? And it was like, you guys, that's not how it works. It's not okay. It's not about helping you. Okay, so. Yeah. Then they this thing where it's like, okay, just print out the website. And then they say, well, the website is, um, you know, infringing on our copyright. And then he says, well, that's not what the book is. And it, it yeah. develops. It's like, why didn't you read the book that we didn't give you that is or is not the website? And it's yeah. just like, what are we doing? And that, that to me is just when it, it just went all to hell. And it, yeah. if they just sat down at the beginning and said, okay, let's look at this and talk about it. it like grownups. It might not have ended up the way... Yeah, well, it might not have ended up the way either party wanted it, but it wouldn't have ended up in court. Right. Yeah. And so it was the, you know, the stalling and the stonewalling. To me, that's that's when it just went on. And I think something else people don't take into account is that with copyright, you don't have to defend it in order to keep it. I mean, she can, you know, turn her head anytime she wants to, and it doesn't affect her copyright. But that's not mm-hmm. how trademark works. You have to defend it. Yeah. And because Warner Brothers is all up in that, I mean, if you ever look at the back of a trading card, every third word will have, you know, TM by it. Yeah. They're almost, they're not co-authors in the sense that they produce the material, but, well, they've trademarked it. I think it's on the copyright page. It'll actually say, like, you know, characters trademarked Warner Brothers. I I may be making that up. Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, because they have to defend their trademark and because, you know, legally it's like they're co-authors in the sense of owning that, she gets dragged into all kinds of cases that I'm sure she would probably just not care about, but they've got to defend it. And so it's like if somebody did this to, let's say, one of Diane Duane's Young Wizard books, Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be this big a problem because there's, you know, as far as I know, there's not a huge trademark issue there. Yeah. But this is all with Warner Brothers. That's part of why it's almost like World War II where, like, everybody had all these alliances. Someone gets assassinated and then all of a sudden – or that was World War I. All hell breaks loose. That's World yeah. War One. <laughs> you know, it's like this domino effect where, like, everybody gets sucked into it. Right. Literally, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I it's think, one of those things – I think as a fandom, we were all kind of like oh, – I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know anybody that was – necessarily on Steve Vanderark's side, but that's just because my list tends to be <laughs> yeah. 
the I, crazy I know people. a lot. But a lot of people yeah, who were on his side. A lot of people. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just—I think it depends on like which factum, faction of the fandom you were kind of with. But like, I don't know. I just think uh, as a fan, we were all kind of going. It could it could do one of two things. It could have little to no impact on the fandom at all, or it could turn into this massive thing where like Warner Brothers and JKR are both like all fan things have to stop. And you know, so I think as as a fan, it was like. We saw we saw the potential, or at least people like me who have no idea how the legal system works, um, <laughs> were kind of frightened that it could have ramifications beyond just what Steve Vanderark was trying to do. Well, here's well, the thing with that that makes it so scary because they gave permission and said you can use the text of Fantastic Beasts and whichever other book it was for a nonprofit website. They went into court, and and remember this is you know. Um, Roger Rappaport, who's, you know, he's actually the one defending this. He goes in and says, well, because they gave us permission to use this online, it's the same as permission to print it in a book for profit. And imagine like Fox sitting there going, okay, everybody who does anything with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, out. Everybody out now. Out of the pool. You know, we're not permission to do anything because they tend to come down really hard. Fox does. So you right. suddenly see all these companies going, oh, shit, what did we just give away? You know, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. That's the precedent. It, it turns into, says. yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's this, you know, and that's why the judge is dragging his feet because he doesn't want to be the one to set the precedent here because it, it's not just about this one, you know, fandom. It's not just about this one book. It's not about this one company. It's about, you know, this and is going to have much farther reaching consequences. Case. It's such a yeah. bad test case. It's not even right. what you would want to, to do. You were going to try to, you know, it's not the one right. you want. It's not a clean cut. It's it's not good. It's so not good. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand why he doesn't want to, you know, and I have no idea if he's just dragging his feet or if he's really, you know, like he kind of suggested, going to sit down and read all the Harry Potter books. That might take him a while. I mean, who knows? <laughs> so... You know, he's going to yeah. be so mad that it's going to be like, what do you mean Snape kills Dumbledore? Why did you tell me that? You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like three years J.K. Rowling on the stage. On stand. Yeah. Yeah, I can just see that. The judge is like, well, I was going to rule in your favor, J.K. Rowling, but you killed Sirius, so I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. It just kind of was one big, if I may, clusterfuck that just kind of. Yeah, that was the word I used a few times. Yeah. Going. Yeah, because uh, it just it makes you so nervous because you know I'm involved in other fandoms as well as Harry Potter and you know it's kind of a, it's kind of a, especially um, fandoms that tend to be have more a lot more fan involvement like Harry Potter has like rock W R O C K rock yeah. and um, fanfic and and fan art whereas like other fandoms I'm involved in like Doctor Who has like well there's novels and there's you know things that are technically like quote unquote fan productions that the BBC kind of just, I mean, they take portions of like, you know, the novels they get a hit from and uh, some of the other stuff. But, you know, I don't know. It's just Star Wars it's has a huge officially sanctioned like fan short film culture. I mean, they were showing right. them on the sci-fi channel with Kevin Smith hosting. I mean, there, there are a yeah. lot of places that have, you know, very sanctioned supported, you know, um, right. And incur- what is the case? What is this case going to do to sanction fandom, where people are? I, I'm just worried that um, where they encourage are going to get you know yeah 
where they encourage it. You know, like the whole thing with the uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog where they have the thing yeah. where you can uh, apply to be on the next on movie. The next. You know, they're yeah. going to have that set up. You know, that's very much an example of encouraged fandom. You know, how is this going to affect that? How is this well, ruling that's going to affect that's because Josh Whedon's whole life is based on the fact that thousands of people just admire the shit out of anything that he does and, like, grab... <laughs> They'll buy, you know, they'll buy DVDs, they'll buy t-shirts, they'll, I mean, Josh Whedon is a small, is a, is a, is a minor deity in some people's religions, like, you know, and so. He's a minor deity. (laughs) I've offended one of the loyal followers, I'm sorry. No, actually, I'm, I've seen two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in my entire life. I mean, I'm kind of a heretic. I'm not really, you know, in that. I mean, people are like, What? You didn't yeah. watch that? Oh my god! We're gonna sit you down with the Firefly DVDs right now. They yeah. were leaving sets of them out on park benches for like people to, you know, to like yeah. evangelize them or something. Like you must watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm. I have to say, there's like I like science. I like sci-fi. I'm a huge <clears throat> Doctor Who fan. I don't know if you picked up on that yet. <laughs> um, but um, it well, just hasn't been quite as obvious as Ryan and Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Right. Oh my god, that's horrible. But um I just I was like there's yeah, he does okay telling a story and he's a good storyteller. I'm just never going to ever worship him like some people do. But then again, a lot of people worship the ground that JK Rowling walks on and there are some things that she does that I don't agree with. So, you know, whatever. I think I just have that anti-fan girl type attitude about <laughs> life. Well, and I'm like jumped on for saying that you can see her grow as a writer over the series. Because it's like, oh yeah, she didn't come fully oh, yeah. full from the, you know. But yeah, I think there's something that's just a huge turnoff in general about people who come on really strong about any particular Anything. fandom property. I have to say that's one reason why I went into Twilight very apprehensive. <laughs> because so many of my younger friends, and I'm not saying I don't have anything against my younger friends. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just when you're a teenage girl, you have certain expectations about life, love, and romance that are so much different at 14 than they are at 20. Well, like I 25 or 20 or, or, or 25 or at 30, at 30 yeah. or, you know. Yeah, exactly. Even that you want your fiction. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of love just the sparkly twinkiness of him, of him being like, you know, you are my life now. And then in the meantime, it's like, okay, dude, if I'm actually going to date you in real life, I want you to be a fully actualized person. I don't want to complete you. I want right, you to right. be exactly set when I get there. You know, right, I don't exactly. want to be piece of china you're missing you know that's you know not how that needs to work yeah and i want to know that i can leave you in the apartment by itself yourself and you're not going to dribble on your shirt waiting for me you know <laughs> like i want you to be able to function independently to think independently um probably it would be nice if you didn't think exactly the same way as me um you know that sort of thing and and um so i i, I began to read twilight and I gave it the old college try. I really did. And I rarely ever put books down. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like, I read (laughs) Harlequin romance novels. There you go. It takes a lot. And um, Edward sparkled. And that was it. (laughs) I was like, oh, man. And so I, you know, this has kind of been my take on the whole thing. And it's kind of started with... um, because a lot of people have made comparisons between Twilight and fandom. Because right. Twilight reads like a big 
old honking piece of fanfic for something. Oh, it does. Yeah. Nobody even really knows what it's supposed to be fanficking. It just it just feels like fanfic. Well, someone but, called it itfic, which I think is kind of also where fanfic kind of comes from at a certain level, where it's just like this is just really what I wanted to read about, and it's not. I mean, fanfic obviously can have a lot of craft in it. But I think when they say it's like a fanfic and they mean that in a bad way, I think it's often coming from this place of it's... Well, it reads kind of like wish fulfillment, fanfic. which is what fanfic yeah. is, you know? Like, that fanfic is, has this element of wish fulfillment, of letting you into my brain. Like, I would... What, <laughs> I, I was really fortunate because the first time I heard of the series, it was actually when Deathly Hallows had come out. It had been at number one on whichever bestseller list for several weeks. And the first book to hit number one after that was Eclipse. And I read about this like in the newspaper or it was somewhere and I was like, what the hell is this? I've never even heard of this. And so then the movie trailer comes out, right? They were talking about, um, you know, when I was doing Linkspan, they had all this, you know, they said, oh, Kristen Stewart's been cast. Oh, my God. No, Robert Pattinson. And I was like, okay, we're going to keep an eye on this now. And so crazy people showing up at the set. And I was like, something's going on here. And then somebody goes, yeah, that's the book with the sparkly vampires. And I was like, okay, get it to me now. I have to read this. I have to see this. So I knew going in what was going to happen. I wasn't prepared for the vampire baseball. That's the part I wasn't expecting. <laughs> the um, the Partridge family of vampires. Um, yes. Yeah. Was you very... know in Midnight Sun, they play football, too. Oh, yes. really? Yeah. Really? They have, hey, bro, we're going to go play football. Don't watch this chick sleep anymore. You got to come. And he's like, no, no, I have to I have to go. I have to go. You know, and I was like, man, they really missed out on this for the movie. Vampire football. Yeah. I have to say, based on the um, casting choices, I am totally on Team Jacob now. Just because, I don't know, pasty skinny person or hot built man beef type person. And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't understand Bella's choice. I think I might have enjoyed Twilight. 16, it's like, throw him back till he gets a little bit older for me. That's... Yes. You know, yeah. I'll take Cedric. That works for me. That Yeah. Well, I don't know. See, I'm I'm 20. It's a little bit different. It is like um cheese in a can. Like you don't want to like it cuz you but should you be do. better than that, but you do. <laughs> I have I have what I call train wreck syndrome in yes. that um like I will start reading something and know it's horrible and then sit down to enjoy how horrible it is. Oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like yeah. Oh yeah. This is gonna be cracktastic. I can't okay. wait. Okay, getting back to this point that I had like a million years ago, because I really was going somewhere with this. It's kind of like with I think this has been a problem in a lot of fandoms. It's been a problem that's I noticed with the Twilight books. You know, we especially, you know, we had this uh the example of the story by Aspen in the Sunlight that we didn't always like. What happens is these people set out to write a book that's for their certain specific audience that they want to reach because that's what they, you know, it's wish fulfillment, like you said. It's, you know, you want to, I like this, so I'm going to write a story about this. And you post it mm-hmm. somewhere where other people with similar interests, or you publish it, you know, as a, you know, in Twilight's case, as a young adult book. At first, the only people who were reading Twilight were teenage girls who liked to read about vampires. Mm-hmm. The only people who read certain kinds of fanfic because they go to certain sites are ones who like male pregnancy stories or they like slash stories or they like, right. you know, whatever the genre that they are titled, you know, you know what I'm saying. They kind of go in right. that direction. What happens is that at a point they have this like popularity threshold that they cross. Mm-hmm. And after that point, 
other people who wouldn't normally read that kind of story or fic or whatever it is, they hear about it and they say, well, everyone's talking about this. I'm going to read it. And that's when you start to have problems because that's when you have people that have a different set of expectations coming in. And what causes the problem is that now instead of if you're someone who like with the Aspen and the Sunlight story, you know, all of a sudden you have people who maybe don't like Snape. Yeah, people who don't like (laughs) Snape are reading your story and saying, wait a minute, you got this all wrong. There's no way this would have happened. Whereas before, all of their reviews were like, oh, my God, you are the best thing in the world. I want to marry you and have your babies. You know, I mean, and it's kind of this, like, culture shock. And I think that's kind of what happened with the Breaking Dawn backlash. Yeah. And we've seen it in fandom. You know, before, when it was just a book about sparkly vampires that was only read by teenage girls who liked to read books about vampires. Well, yes, and, it was the best thing out there. Well, and yeah, the and their moms. Very, mm-hmm. very big, you know. Yeah, you know, and I, well, I just read, it's been so hard on Stephanie Meyer to be having this sudden, when it, the moment it went mainstream and suddenly there were all these people coming in who didn't, you know, like you're saying, had very different expectations, it got really ugly. Yeah. yeah. I don't think she's expecting that at all. Right. No, I don't think that you can expect that. It's kind of like when, um, when the uh, backlash for Harry Potter hit Joe Rowling, you know, all these crazy people came out of the woodwork. They were expecting something and, and. The magic and evil and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not quite the same thing. Uh, JK, at no point did JK Rowling write Jenny having a baby that tried to crawl its way out of her body. But anyway, um, <laughs> that wasn't even yeah, the worst. Part. I just, no, yeah, that was probably, yeah, it was the worst part was biting it out actually. But yeah. yeah, yeah, that was, that was, did she, here's my question. I don't remember how that worked. Did she die while they were having sex? Did she die after or did she die before? It was after oh, the see, sex that thing. Was the, that was during the childbirth. No, that was during yes. the childbirth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because premarital sex and premarital vamping, both bad. Yes, yeah, very really? bad. <laughs> I don't know. See, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I thought that was so, anyway, but that's true. I mean, you kind of have to appreciate it for what it is, but it, it's like, yeah, my friend, um, actually my friend Sarah and I were just talking about this, how... As I think that um, as as the weight was building for Breaking Dawn, um, the pressure on Stephanie Meyer to write something that was going to be the crux of this golden series was immense, and it just it was one of those things where her, the story got bigger than the author. And she I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not. I don't know. I think it was a case maybe of her paying too much attention to what was going on in the outside world and not enough of what was going on inside of her. Well, she did say that. Renesme was the end game from like the moment she, you know, conceptualized the story. She had, she woke up one day and had her dream about Bella and Edward in the sparkly meadow and was writing it for herself. And I think originally it was supposed to be two books. It was going mm-hmm. to be Twilight and something called Forever Dawn, which is basically mostly what Breaking Dawn is now. There wasn't going to be the Jacob Love Triangle, mostly. He was going to still mm-hmm. have a crush on Bella, but it wasn't going to be that whole, you know, Edward running away thing. I just read this today, sorry. And um, the publishers were just like, she cannot get married at the age of, like, 17 and have this baby. This cannot happen. You need to have some other things happen between that. So I think that was why, if I'm, you know, if this story is is correct, that's why the other two books happened. Because people are always surprised, you know, but apparently Renesme was the end game from... Really? Now that's interesting. That's that's interesting. That kind of, I want to kind of go back and read the books now from that perspective. Because it is interesting. 
interesting. Reading all the Jacob stuff, it's like, oh, he was supposed to imprint on, oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it kind of that, changes your perspective kind of, about their, about Bella and Jacob's entire relationship then yeah. becomes yeah. kind of colored by this, like, oh, kind of moment that you have there. Yeah. For some of us, it was an ew <laughs> kind of moment. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to okay, I have to I have to go I have to jump back to um this this series of books that I read. I will say now, um, for those of you that read things that I recommend on the podcast and I've been getting emails that people do, this series is a byproduct of my train wreck syndrome. I love it and I hate it at the same time. So if you read it and you're expecting Chaucer or Dickens, this is not it. Um but it is the <laughs> It is the um, Carpathian series by Christine Fian. Have any of you have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. It is basically about this race of pseudo vampires from from Eastern Europe that like live forever and have like one soulmate. You know, they drink blood and kind of um, can only come out. Yeah, exactly. Va- like I said, pseudo vampires. But anyway, if if they don't find their one true love, their soulmate, you know they turn into a vampire and go crazy and eat people. This is a whole series of books. Yeah, as they do. And they're, of course, telepathic and um, magic and aliens and whatever. Because, like I said, I love it. It's crazy, but I love it. And uh, but that, that was kind of that moment from um, there's this one book where the guy like finds his soulmate when she's like four, <laughs> and that just kind of squicked me on so many levels because it's like it's just kind of a manipulative type of relationship, especially if you meet that person when they're younger because you're never really giving them a chance to be their own person. It's like emotional slavery because they know from however whatever age that that's the one person that they're going to end up with and so their whole life is kind of pushed in that direction you know like well it's it's the twilight the imprinting well and right. even on a different level there's this weird thing that happens with Alice who is one of the um the other cullens who you know she's she's the psychic one and she foresees that she's going to meet, you know, another one of the future Cullens, Jasper, and that she's going to be in love with him. So when she meets him, she's like, hey, we're going to be in love. And it's like she skips the part where they actually fall in love. And she's just like, well, we already are because I saw yeah. that we would. And that's why right. we are, because I saw that we would be. And she kind of does the same thing with Bella, although one would assume it's a platonic thing. But, I mean, she does the same thing where she's like, but we're going to be friends, so I love her. And it's like, wait, what? It didn't actually happen, though. So, I mean, it's almost like she almost imprints on people. Right. I just think it's interesting how – and there's, like, a rash of these stories coming out. Like, Twilight's one, the Carpathian series is doing extremely well. Dark Curse just came out, and it's gonna, it's a bestseller. And then also, like in in, um, in Harry Potter stories and a lot of the anime fandoms that I'm reading, there's this idea that a relationship is more real or more poetic or more interesting if it's destined since the beginning of time. And you know, and I think I think the exact opposite is the case. I think relationships are more interesting and more if there's fractures and if there's flaws and if there's that awkward getting to know you period and and to me, maybe it's just like a byproduct of living in the real world. <laughs> real world syndrome. Not, yeah, not like shiny, sparkly vampire land. That's the kind of stuff that's interesting. People that make it in spite of real problems. Like, not people that never have to face real problems because, oh my god, love fixes everything. 
not that kind of problem, but, you know, like my parents who have been together for 25 years and have overcome poverty and, you know, had fights about stupid stuff and they're still together and they still like each other some days. You know, like that kind of stuff is 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 more romantic to me than you are my life. Yeah, I well, and there's more dramatic tension in it. I mean, the book, I'm trying to finish the novel at this point. I mean... My idea is kind of that marriage is the beginning. It's not the happy ending. It's the beginning of, you know, trying to make this work for, I'd say, the rest of your life. But, you know, however long that ends up being. Oh, and God, thank you. That, that's, you know, <laughs> okay, the, look. Because it's a Victorian can... era thing, you know, you can get them married very quickly because they have to. And then you can go, well, how do they get along? You know, how do they deal with each other now that they've had right. to marry, you know, in an earlier time period that, you know, they couldn't live together. So, you know, how do you deal with that? I really wish that more people would write from that angle about the what happens after that point. Because, yes, getting to the wedding is all fine and good. But I've been married for it's almost four years. And I can tell you, man, there are some times that it sucks. <laughs> and you don't know that going in because nobody really talks about that going in, especially, you know, even when you say, oh, well, we're uh, we're so in love and we're getting married. Everybody talks about, oh, well, my wedding was like this and da, 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 da. And they, you know, everybody focuses on the wedding part. And so many people are like, well, it's all about the wedding. And even to an extent, you know, I was really afraid that that's what a lot of Breaking Dawn was going to be, would be talking about this wedding, the event of the wedding. And I was so shocked when it was just over. I know. <laughs> I was like, yeah. whoa, I thought that was going to be like the second to last chapter of the book. But even, you know, people who write, you know, a lot of these quote unquote happily ever after stories, you know, you just see up to the point of the wedding and then everything is, you just assume, well, everything goes perfectly after that. Well, let me be the first one to tell you, no, it does not. <laughs> Shit happens and it happens whether you want it to or not. But a lot of people don't have that expectation of realism. And then I found out that she was Mormon and I actually got a little bit mad at the people that were uh, some of the comments. Like I didn't even really enjoy Twilight all that much. I don't know if you could tell, um, but <laughs> like some of the comments that people were making about her religion with relation to what she wrote was like infuriating to me. Cause I'm, re- I'm a religious person too, but I was just like, Oh, separate the author from the text, please. Please, like I, I was, like, I, I was horrified. See the influence of it, but yeah, it's kind of like don't, don't go there. There are so many other things you can go with. Don't, don't bring that yes. up. At any really? point in the story, there were so many other things that you could focus on. But I mean, I think it's one thing that you have to consider when you're considering, like, especially if you're stopping to think about where she was coming from when she started to write the book, why the characters do some of the things that they do. You know, you're characters are almost always in some way every character is a reflection of an author whether it's what they want themselves to be what they don't like about themselves what they don't like about the people around them it's a reflection of the author's world and their perceptions of it and so obviously her morality based on her faith or whatever else was guiding it is going to be a big part of how these characters you know how they react to things i mean that's going to have a part of it and i just think it's funny that that edward's the prude (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is hilarious. I a lot of people. I mean, most people have fairly unique takes on whatever faith they're in, and I have had so many Mormon commenters. God bless them, come in and go. Do not look at us, okay? We are. Yeah. That is not what we believe. We are not imprinting on people at the age of two. I don't know what that was about. Do not look at us, you know. Yeah, and you, you just, I feel so bad anytime anybody tries to, you know, bring in the Mormon thing because it's like. 
there are tons of Mormons who were like, no, 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 no. I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure that being a Mormon now is like being a Catholic right after Dan Brown released, um, the Da Vinci Code. It really, it really was, it was enough to make me just like, I, I enjoyed the books, but I came, I was so naive at that point. I read the books and went, oh, that's a nice story and put it down. And then the next thing I know, I'm having like all these off the wall comments. Like, so do you beat yourself to get rid of your sin? <laughs> yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, just things that I, I just really like nasty anti-Catholic stuff that I had never, ever heard before. I think like that kind of... It, I just I I feel really me. deeply for them because I've been in that position yeah. where you were I having somebody ask go, me if I wore that thing around my leg. Yeah. Yeah. Sleaze? I'm like, yeah. no, I'm yeah, not exactly in the 16th century. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really see a need for it. And then, you know, uh, of course, and you don't want to say to people, people ask you questions and you want to go, um, that's not me. People have a hard time separating that sort of thing, which kind of makes me nervous being openly religious in today's culture kind of difficult, especially if you're Mormon or if you're Catholic or Jewish. I was raised Southern Baptist and I have people ask me, you know, do you handle snakes? And it's like, oh God, no! Oh my God! (laughs) No! No, no, no! And like, what's so funny about that is like there's a thousand, I've known like a thousand Southern Baptists in my life and it's just like everybody else that claims to be one particular religion everybody has like a slightly different take on what their or, or religion fe- affects them in different ways or you know they choose to believe because no matter how hard you try and I've had this conversation with Ryan before um, I try not to be a cafeteria Catholic I have a hard time accepting everything that the church teaches and I think a lot of people are that way about their religion too you know like accepting everything that you're told that you have to accept is kind of... And I don't even know if that had anything to do with what we're talking about. (laughs) What, Ren? Has anything we've talked about tonight had anything to do with anything else we were talking about? (laughs) It's like X-rated NPR. (laughs) It really is. It really is. We've kept the swearing down to a minimum. We might actually be able to put this one out without the mature tag on it. I, Maybe. I, I was going to come in on my best behavior, not knowing, you know, what the parental guidance level was going to be. But, you oh, know, we're people, said, people said, well, maybe the Twilight Moms didn't come get you because the moment you said fuck, they just were like, turn off the computer. There you go. Just get out. You know, I should maybe do that more often. That, you know, <laughs> might be the yeah. offspring of, you know, there you keeping go. people. But I just, I have a hard time with that, like. I don't know that I would let my 13-year-old read Twilight. I just, I'm, I don't know. But then again, I grew up Heavy discussion. Yeah, heavy, heavy discussion. Here's the thing, though. You know, I think Breaking Dawn was so different from from the other books with the level of just, I think, I mean, that childbirth scene was one of the most graphic depictions of something like that that I have ever read. I saw girls because I will admit I was there at the bookstore at midnight to get my copy of the book. I (laughs) could not stop laughing at all the people around me (laughs) who were wearing the matching shirts and they had bite marks drawn on their necks. Uh, Some in prom dresses, some dressed up like goth, weird people. It's one girl dressed entirely in yellow. I'm not entirely sure what that was about, but I don't know what that was either. Huh? You know, (laughs) 
it just all this all the craziness and I was actually standing by another woman who was there to buy a copy for her daughter and we were just laughing at people as they were walking by because it was just insane to see it but I was there there were girls there that I swear they could not have been older than nine or ten and their moms had read the first three books with them and thought oh well this next book is going to be just like it no (laughs) there wasn't i think there's a horror writer trapped in this woman a very good horror writer who yeah is longing to get out but it it was so much more graphic but at the same time the stuff that made the really hardcore fans angry i i couldn't understand why because i was like look the imprinting thing if it didn't make you mad before why is it making making you now now I understand why you're mad. I just don't understand why it took you this long to get there. You know, but yeah, I mean, I, I do understand. The second, the middle part was so graphic. I do understand that. Well, well I mean, and it's I, just like when, when the whole thing about Deathly Hallows, when Harry Potter came out and, and people were so shocked by the epilogue and how it ended. Yeah. And it's like, you I've guys. understood why that was so upsetting to people. Because they were going in that direction. I mean, everybody was like, well, it's Harry and Ginny, and they're not supposed to be together. They have been going in that direction since the second book in the series. You yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that it's, ship it's, sailed. Did you, did you really, really, I mean, did you honestly think that Harry was going to run off with Professor Snape? No. Yeah. Well, like, you think know. it was, I think... I think a lot of people, I don't know, I think what made Jen so upset, which is one of our other hosts who absolutely detests the epilogue, and I'm not trying to speak for her, and if I get it wrong, she'll come after me with a pitchfork anyway, but um, she was upset because it was so happy, and so it's kind of like a like a big bow over, but I think it's a, yeah, and I thought as a fan, that was what I wanted, you know, I yeah. wanted to know that at some point in his life, Harry was going to be happy. That's all I needed to know because he hadn't been happy for the whole series of the books. Like there's like maybe two or three chapters where Harry's like, woohoo, life is great. And the rest of the time, Harry's moaning and complaining. Honest to God, he has reasons, you know, but he's emo. God love him. You know, I just wanted to know that at some point in his life, he was going to be happy. That's all I needed to know. And the fact that he had three kids with Jenny Weasley, I don't, I'm not going to lie. I was doing a victory dance. Because I just, I couldn't understand how you could read the books and think Harry and Hermione. I can understand how you can watch the movies and think Harry and Hermione. Yeah. Because Dan and Emma have a lot of chemistry, and Rupert and Emma kind of have all the chemistry of a rock. So, we'll see how that works out. The writing has really skewed it towards bringing Hermione to the forefront. I mean, people who have only watched the movies have said, yeah, I totally thought that's where they were going with that. So, I mean, those really are kind of misleading. But I think they're, I think, yeah. I can understand people wanting Harry and Hermione to be together. I could see that working, but at the same time, I never thought that was actually going to happen. I thought it was very clear that it was going to be Harry and Ginny since, or it was going to be Ron and Hermione since pretty early on in the series. And then I forget when, when she squeaks, when she sees him on the top of the stairs, I honest to God, I when I was reading Chamber of Secrets, she squeaked at the top of the scare, stairs in Chamber of Secrets. And I was like, that's who Harry's going to marry. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So you know, he's actually, she's actually the first person he sees in the first book in the Wizarding World after, like, Hagrid. Like, when he goes to, you know, the platform, she's the first person he sees. Right, yeah. And he sees Mrs. Weasley. And it's this whole, I mean, and it's, it brings it all together really well, I thought. Did he one thing that One thing that I have always thought was really funny, and, and this is going to kind of come into, you know, between, let's look at Twilight and Harry Potter and this particular element of it, 
you know, we got into a discussion with, with Jen, who is our resident um, unusual ship person, right. but not even the shipping part. We, we talked about something and it was a sex scene, I believe, where that had Harry ravishing someone. And everyone <laughs> else was trying to explain that you can't, when you're a virgin and you're having sex for the first time, you're not ravaging anyone. <laughs> That was, yeah, that's my quote. I'm like, Harry is a virgin. How many virgins do you know can successfully ravage anyone? She's over here. Well, he's it's Harry the same Potter. Thing. <laughs> well, it's the same thing, though. I mean, come on. If Edward was a virgin and he's been a virgin for 118 years. Awkward city. I think he did a lot of reading. I think he got a lot of manuals. I think he did a lot of reading. <laughs> Maybe he scrapbooked it afterwards. I mean, I, I really, like, he would do his homework on this one. Well, yes, but here's still, you can do all the homework in the world. You can do all the reading. You can read every version of the Kama Sutra under the sun. You can get degrees in advanced medicine or whatever else yes, you've done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you, you get to a point where, you know, you just can't learn some things. But, of yeah. course, it's this perfect, wonderful, orgasmic experience for both of them with, with biting headboards and pillows well, getting ripped up. If and, she's well, virgin, well, she didn't know better. <laughs> true what's cracking me up so hard about that and like about a lot of virgin scenes is you can tell i I don't know maybe stephanie meyer's experience was like so horrifying that she's blocked it out but like even the first time that you make out with somebody you walk away going i'm not really sure that i want to do that again that was kind (laughs) of like sloppy and wet and uncomfortable (laughs) and I just don't understand why I want to do that so much you know like or maybe my first boyfriend was a terrible kisser I think that's probably the problem have y'all ever seen the movie dead presidents yes okay it's about you know I think bank robbers uh in the um 70s who come back from Vietnam and you know very very bitter there's the sex scene I think it's before they go to Vietnam with the guy and his girlfriend in her room and they're like teenagers and I think she says something like he puts it in the wrong place at first (laughs) that's right (laughs) and I was just like there you go right right there like that is realism yeah and she's like oh no 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 that, you remember, um, have you ever seen that 70s show where Eric and Donna do it for the first time? Eric's like, that was great. And Donna's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. Funny. I mean, it's, and, and I think that's part of the problem. I mean, obviously, Stephanie Meyer was going for the whole fantasy element here. And in, in a fantasy, of course, he's going to be a god in bed. But, you know, a lot of people, I think, who write, if especially in fan fiction, you have a lot of people who have not actually ever had sex that are writing about having sex. Mm-hmm. And then the problem is that they have no idea what they're talking about. So they're just going on what they've seen in movies and read in books. Apparently yeah. they didn't see dead presidents. Or it's like if you read any kind of Harry Potter story where there's any kind of sex scene, it usually takes place in a broom cupboard. And it's just like, okay, I don't know what you people think is going is what these broom cupboards actually look like, but it's a janitor's <laughs> closet. I mean, <laughs> I know mm. I personally don't want to get busy amid the buckets of pine salt. I mean, really, nothing turns me on like the smell of ammonia, Rena. <laughs> <laughs> or okay, not even not even like sex in a janitor's closet. A sex standing up. That takes talent. That takes a considerable <laughs> amount of talent. Yeah. How do people come up with this stuff? Well, I don't know. I think 
I, I honest to God, I really do think it's because people have never had sex before. Because, I mean, you know, they always have, like, the guy being really strong and, like, holding her up and stuff like that. And it's like, for maybe 30 seconds, maybe, you know, <laughs> if you're lucky, <laughs> possibly. Yeah. No. Well, it's just I, I got into a discussion the other day with uh, my husband. We were talking about, like... Well, we started talking about it because my uh, my brother-in-law was visiting us, and he is 16 years old. And, you know, he's a 16-year-old boy. And we got to talking about this, and I was saying, you know, for kids like him, you know, he's not a very sociable kid. He spends most of his time on the Internet. And so what happens, I think, and, and this is kind of reflecting in, in fan literature and in, 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 in literature that's been written by people that this is the way they've kind of developed – you know, it's not talking about sex is not enough anymore because there's so much filth that's out there. Right. You know, and if you have kids that the first encounter that they ever have with sex is, you know, watching some graphic porno that's a rape scene, they're not going to go back to just plain old vanilla missionary style sex. Right. You know, there's that never gonna desensitization. Yeah. Right. And that's part of the story as to why porn itself has become so it's like because there's porn everywhere they have to push it that much further right exactly right. and and especially and then the other half of it is before the internet came along if you were like a foot fetishist or a furry or whatever else you know you might find another person who shared your fantasies in like some kind of specialty publication that you had to subscribe to. But now yeah. with the internet, you just log onto your computer and you can go to a specialty site that will give you a list of like a hundred people within a hundred miles of you. You know, it's, it's yeah. brought those kind of kinky aspects of sex to the forefront. And what happens is a lot of times the kids are curious and the internet is right there. And so, and you can see that in a lot of, there are a lot of very graphic sex scenes in a lot of fan fiction and you go back and you look at these authors profiles and they're like 15 and 16 years old and it's like this is not realistic and if this is what you think sex is like you're gonna be very unhappy for the rest of your well, life well it's not even that We're, we <laughs> yeah. as a society are gonna have a big problem because yeah. you know especially if you look at a lot of you know if people who are you know, watch a lot of porn, they, they treat people differently. I mean, women are not exactly empowered in a lot of those kind of movies. So right. they, what happens is women get treated like crap in a lot of them. And then if these are teenage boys who are seeing this and they see that, you know, they don't necessarily make the connection that this is all fake. This is just mm -hmm. as fake as watching a movie. You know, this isn't, this isn't what people like, you know, this yeah. is, I have to say, like, a, a lot of times, like, the way that teenage boys act have has been blamed on hip-hop. I think hip-hop is getting an unfair share of the blame. I really do. Because I think the way that boys treat people, it goes back to porn. It goes back to the movies that they're watching. It goes back to this attitude we have kind of now as women where I even have this problem where I'm a feminist, but I don't want to come across as a feminist, you know? Because it's almost like a dirty word anymore where you it's like a slang word now for an unreasonable woman and i'm really not you know i just it's all it, it comes down to respect and i don't know it's just kind of i have i have no problem saying i'm a feminist uh sarah's at tomato nation has this wonderful piece called um yes you are and it's basically do you believe in equality between men and women then yes you are a feminist and she just repeats it over and over and it's like is that what you believe 
Yes, this, you are. You are That's all it takes. That is all it is. Right. It is not about you know what you do or do not shave. You know, it's yeah. Do you believe this? That exactly. Is all it is. Exactly. Well, you know, like part of my problem is now that I believe men and women are equal. I don't believe they're the same. That's well, I, I, mean, I believe they are very very different. But that you know, yeah. they deserve right. the same chances and the same opportunities. Exactly. Exactly. The glass ceiling infuriates me. Makes me so mad, which is why oh, I am so, so pleased that. this like this um, this election has me ten kinds of happy because no matter what happens, no matter who ends up in the office, whether you like them or not, you know, at least we can say as a society that we've come this far. On the other hand, like I was telling Ryan the other day, I'm 20 years old. Uh, I was born in 1988, so oh, God. the last. Like, the race riots in L.A., I don't remember. Or the, um, I can't even think of the big last race issue, you know. Rodney so, King. O.J. Simpson. Yeah. O.J. Simpson, I don't remember the O.J. Simpson choir trial. Like, wow. That was, I was God. high school watching that. That was, wow. that was I, what, I, 90, was, I, can, I can remember watching the video of the Bronco driving around on television. Well, we I, remember, I vaguely cool. remember my dad being mad. I can remember adults talking about it, but it was not relevant to me. That was like what ninety five, ninety three, ninety four, nine in that like that area. Early to ninety six. Yeah, yeah, ninety five, ninety six, ninety six. I would have been seven to nine years old. Not a big deal to me. <laughs> like so, you know, like oh god, I was you're making my, me feel old. I was telling, I was telling Ryan, I was like, you know, I think it's a lot. It makes a lot bigger difference to your even your generation versus my generation, that Barack Obama is black, for instance, or that Sarah Palin is a woman. Because in my world, none of that stuff ever mattered. Like, we just don't even, like, I was, I was at my, um, my grandma's house this couple weeks ago, and my great-uncle Jerry was there, and he's a racist. I'm going to be honest with you. And I was, I was telling my dad about this, you know, and, he, and I was like, you know, it's, it's weird because... When he's describing somebody, the first word that comes out of his mouth is what race they are. Uh, that Mexican girl, that black girl, that white girl, that, you know. And it just never even occurs to me to do that, you know, to really even see it. My dad's like, well, he's just describing people the way they are. And I'm like, my generation is more colorblind. And I didn't even really notice that Barack Obama was black and that it would be a big deal until somebody was like, Barack Obama could be the first black president. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. We haven't had one of those yet, you know? I mean, so, in a way, that, that does give me a lot of hope that it, it yeah. fades as each generation comes in and that it's less and less of a big deal. I mean, that my sister's seven years younger than me. She's 22. And so, you know, about, about your age. And so that it just makes she's, – she's had an experience very like that in that race means so much less to her. She notices it so much less. And it actually does give me a lot of hope that, you know, eventually it, it's not going like, to be a big deal. Like my kids, I really – like I hope my kids, it never even – they won't even they won't even have to watch now, news anchors on TV say something racist. Here's you the know? thing, though. I think it also makes a huge amount of difference – where you live when you're talking about stuff like that. Prejudice is still just, right. I mean, people don't talk about it. It is just under the surface, though. Right. Like I was saying, I mean, it's my generation. 
I mean, we're not the ones voting. I mean, we're just now getting to where we can vote, where it doesn't matter. But, you know, there's still people out there like my grandfather is pretty racist. You know, my great uncle Jerry is very racist. I just I, I think, you know, get that point where someday labels won't mean as much is 20, 30, 40 years away. I think we've got more but, time than 20 years. I think it's coming, and that is a yeah. very good thing. But right. I think we have more time than that just because the generations that do have those kind of prejudices are huge amounts of people. Right. <laughs> and, and, right. You, know, you kind of have to wait for them to... I mean, it's not just young white people that are changing the way that they look at the world. I think young black people are doing just as much, too, and young Mexicans and young Asians and that kind of stuff, you know. I think it's good. The world is changing in really positive ways, I have to say. I really do think it is. And I think I get discouraged watching the news sometimes because I feel like a lot of people focus on the negatives a lot of times. And, I, you know, no matter what happens, whoever you're voting for, and I'm not going to say who I'm going to – well, I've said it on the forum. You can go look it up if you really want to know, if you really care. No matter what happens in this election, I really – I'm looking forward to it because I think no matter what happens, I think people are going to be happier. I really – I mean, I just kind of want to walk down the street and see somebody smile for once. <laughs> you know? I think the world well, is – Well, yeah. I mean, things things have been really tough all over for a lot of people, and, and it's not – and this is a case where it's not just – oh, well, the Midwest got pummeled by some flooding, so things are kind of bad there, but everyone else is okay. This has been, like, wide-reaching. Things are crappy all over for a lot of people, and I think that the one thing that's making a lot of people happy is that no matter what happens in January, it's going to be new. It's not going to be the same as what we had. Now, whether you're voting for, you know, the Republicans or Democrats or Independents or Green Party, or you're going to write in Mickey Mouse, you know, whatever you're doing, (laughs) it's going to be different. And and I think that is something that everyone is looking forward to. Things have been yeah. stagnant for a little bit too long, I think. Change is good. Wow. But yeah, I think it's coming. We're on the gamut tonight. We really have. What do we talk about? Sex, politics, religion. I don't know how we got from politics, from sex to politics. But we can go back to sex. That'd be fine with me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Isn't that strange that it's easier to talk about sex than it is about politics? It's just kind of weird. Yeah. Well, because sex is, is fairly universal. You don't find very many people who are just like, I mean, everybody kind of likes sex. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And that makes a difference. It's something that, you know, everybody can kind of agree. Sex, thumbs up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's very true. Whereas, like, Rena and I, this is the first time that we've met, that I've met Cleo. I'm sure Rena's met her before. But... You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird com- conversation to bre- breach with somebody that you don't really know all that well. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> especially well, when like, well, yeah, go. I just said I would be on my best behavior tonight, so you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm the one who got quoted in what was it? It was the New York Magazine blog yeah. as so. Was it like fucking a popsicle? I mean, you know this. <laughs> The one line I get quoted on, you know. The one line that was like that. I was was like, oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) That and pillow biting. But I wasn't the one who brought the pillow biting up. That was in the book. Yes. That was was not your fault. Back back to that sex. I mean, one of the scenes I thought was actually really well done in Breaking Dawn was before the sex scene when Bella starts having this, you know, slight nervous breakdown in, like, the shower or the bathroom or whatever going... 
I don't know what to do. You know, I, how am I supposed to be all glamorous and sexy? I don't know how to do that. And for that audience, I liked that scene. Yeah. Young teenage girls. I was like, they can't really identify with the filthy rich vampire boyfriend, but they can identify with that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, because especially when you make that decision, like you're going to go all the way with that boyfriend, husband, you know, that is kind of a momentous decision. I mean, you, I don't know about you, but I thought about it for weeks, months, years, had really, yeah, had (laughs) problems, you know, and it's something that you, cause it's, it's something that like on one level, because I had been in the involved in fandom for a very long time, it was something that I thought I understood on an intellectual level, but it wasn't one that, I mean, it's called intimacy for a reason. It's not exactly, you don't just, you don't share that with everybody that you meet. So that was kind of, I, I haven't read, enjoyed that scene from a, like an intellectual standpoint too, because I thought this is something that makes Bella human. Like, oh my yes. God, finally. It makes her a little bit that... less Mary Sue because yes. that experience, that feeling, that panic is so universal when right. you do make that decision. And there's well, a I was in the book before that in a, uh, Eclipse where she basically tries to jump in and she starts unbuttoning her shirt and he's like, no, don't do that. And she feels very rejected. I you know. love that scene. I really, really <laughs> did. Because, oh my God, I have been there. I have absolutely been there and it's the worst feeling in the world because boy that I was dating at the time was very closed off and very conservative and very religious. And I, I don't even really understand how we even ended up dating (laughs) because I am not a very conservative person. And so, but you get to that point and you start, you make that move and they're like, no, stop, don't do that. And you're just like, Oh, Burn. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and not only does it make you feel bad on a kind of, you know, no one likes to be rejected level, but then you start doubting, you know, you start doubting everything you thought about that person, like everything you thought about how they felt about you. You're like, yeah. oh my God, have I been wrong about all of this? I mean, in that scene, you know, there were just a couple of scenes through those books where all of a sudden Bella was not just this ridiculously big, fat Mary Sue, who's, <laughs> you know, where everything just goes so swimmingly for her. You know, in those scenes, she was a real person with a problem that anyone who's ever been in that situation can completely relate to. Well, and besides the whole thing about, you know, she gets to the school and immediately all the boys want to be her friend. I mean, besides that, the way their relationship progresses up to like the meadow of Great Sparkle or whatever it's like the first time she meets him, she's like, why does he hate me? You know, it's this whole almost comedy of misunderstandings where it's just like, why does he hate me? Why is he being so weird? Does he like me? Does he not like me? I mean, it's it's very much, you know, I could remember being in high school, just not understanding at all what was going on with people, not realizing that, you know, the guys themselves are going, why doesn't she like me? Oh, my God, what is she thinking? And it's exactly the same thing on both sides. Yes, yeah, it is. I mean, that's kind of one of the problems with writing teenagers and writing teenagers as well is I don't know about you, but I was a weird teenager. Like, um, and I'm still kind of a weird 20 year old. I'm not going to lie to you. It's part of, you don't remember exactly how awkward it was to be that age until you put yourself back in that situation. Because, you know, the older, the more experience you have in social situations, the more you can pick up on the subtleties of things. Whereas when you're like 14, 15, 16, you kind of, you don't even really understand yourself yet. 
you know, you don't really understand why you do the things that you do. How can you possibly understand what people around you are doing? Which is why I kind of have a problem with, like, like I've written it before, but I kind of had, um, I've written a James and Lily story, and um, one of our forum members, Dave, was sending me a, a I am. He's like, oh my god, you you got it so right. And the reason that I got it, quote unquote, right, according to him, was that James was having this like nervous breakdown, like or not nervous breakdown, but having this thought of I'm not supposed to meet the person that I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life at 16, at 17, at 18. You know, like that would be frightening to me. It would be anyway. I don't know. On one level, it would be easier, but on the other hand, like, am I missing out on all these experiences and all these events and other people? That, you know, I, I don't know. I just think that Bella might have done, if she would have thought about more about how young she was, because you do have those moments where it you kind of, as a teenager, you kind of feel like you're an adult right up until it becomes really inconvenient to be an adult. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm still a kid. Right about the time you're supposed to move out. And it's like, oh, wait, uh, I don't like paying for me. But no, I mean, there there is a great part. Well, I don't know it's a great part. It's the part that kind of makes me crazy. But um, when Bella says, you know, my parents married young, they divorced young. I don't want to get married until I'm like 30. But at the same time, it's like, but I don't want to get to be 20 without being a vampire. I'll get old. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, too old over here, but you're too young over here. And oh, my God, what? I mean, her priorities are just, she has this weird double standard. But, like, the marriage thing, I was like, yeah, okay, tell the little girls that. That's cool. Let them know that. And then I'm like, okay, no, this, this getting old thing, no, no. What the hell Don't tell them to fear 30. Come on. <laughs> 20! <laughs> but when she said fear 30, I was just like, okay, bitch, let's back yeah. this up. <laughs> this I mean, is, that's it is on. <laughs> you know what? I'm really looking forward to being, I want to be, in 10 years, I hope that, like, I don't fear 30. Because I, in my experience, I think people are a lot more attractive once they hit that mark. It's like something just clicks, you know? Like they just, I don't know. I, people hit it at different times or whatever. But for some reason, especially guys, something just turns on in their brains. And they can suddenly think in ways that they hadn't been able to think before. And part of the things about, especially for me, like when I am entering my 20s, is being really unsure of myself and not knowing what I'm going, where I'm going or what I'm doing or I'm not being entirely sure how to handle things like getting in car accidents. That was a fun, fun call. Or maybe that's just part of coming out of your teenage years. I hope in 20, in a year, in 10 years, you know, I'll have figured out I'll finally understand myself and know myself. And I think that's going to be a good place to be at. I think that's what your 20s are for, just kind of stumbling around, trying to figure out what the hell's going on and who you are, because now you're on your own. And I think that maybe why people in their 30s are attractive, because it's like you're finally fully grown. You are finally, you know, a full person on your own. And I mean, most really big movie stars are in their 30s. I mean, that's kind of like the default age kind of in mm-hmm. popular culture, even though I know it's so, you know, teen-oriented now. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know... Well, but that's because we as a country have train wreck syndrome. That's why we yeah. come up for these... That's why we love these teenagers, because, good Lord, they all go batshit crazy at some point. Yeah, I went batshit crazy. Granted, I went until I was 19, but I did it at, 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 in my teenage years. <laughs> I even got, I have a doctor's note in medication. I did it the right way. <laughs> My mother is going to kill me if she hears this. That's not funny. Yes, oh, is. I know it. I mean, that's the thing about, um, who told me is like, she goes, I've never heard anybody make a joke about having depression before. I'm like, then you need to talk to some people who have depression because let me tell you. <laughs> exactly. It is, that's how you get through it. You exactly. cannot 
you cannot, I mean, re- depression is kind of ridiculous in and of itself. Like, you can realize from an objective standpoint the thoughts that you're having are not logical. Like, or at least I can. When it's like I'm having a quote-unquote attack or whatever, I can see that I'm being crazy from far away. There's nothing I can do about it, though. Yeah. Like, so you kind of, like, not being in control of your own mind, you have to laugh about that or it'll scare the crap out of you. It really will. So, yeah, that's what I told okay. her. I was like, like, well, we I always knew I was to. that. Well, it's, it's a, you know, I am, I work in a hospital. People have looked at me like I am the worst person in the world when I walked down the hall in the hospital with a smile on my face because yeah. I've just gone in and was joking around with one of my coworkers while their child is is in this next room fighting for their life. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's not because I'm not sympathetic to you. It's not. Or I, I don't deal care. with this every day. I am in this situation every day. And, and if I didn't laugh about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's I, that's very true. In order to be yeah. here for you, I need to be able to stay sane because exactly. yeah. you know, if I can't do that. And honestly, I have been really sick. I have been that person in the hospital. I would rather the nurse smile and laugh and crack a joke with me. And I don't deal well with serious. <laughs> I do better with happy. You know, being someone who deals with a lot of serious stuff on a daily basis, you know, that is one thing that I kind of sort of liked about Twilight and in and, and the Harry Potter books is that, you know, when, when you deal with these serious situations, you know, this is a, you know, Harry Potter is dealing about a war, to quote Eddie Izzard, a genocidal fuckhead. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> you know, and well, but. The Aside books, from the fact that Voldemort's a terrible villain. We'll get to that later, but go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the idea that these kids are also, there's moments that make you laugh and that make these kids laugh and make the characters laugh. Vampires these in, in Twilight, you know, whatever else is going on in the story for 388 pages before the plot starts, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there is a point where there is a life and death situation. And, and also, you know, depending on how you look at it, these people m- might very well be cursed with, with their existence, you know, but mm-hmm. they have to, they, they can find humor in it. They play vampire baseball and vampire football. And, yeah. you know, they, they do what they can to adjust and to cope with that. And I think that that's something that we don't talk about. And it's, you know, the generation with the, the helicopter parents, you know, yeah. these, Parents want to do everything for their kids, and they want to protect them from everything. But at some point, you you know you can't just shelter your kids. You can't shelter them from everything. You have to teach them how to deal with it. That's and I think coping skills exactly. Yeah. And I think these books, you know, some of these books, I think J.K. Rowling did a really good job with it. Especially, you know, you illustrate the downturn that Harry took after Sirius's death, uh-huh. and he was basically, you know, the whiniest little emo teen ever. And and then after that, he kind of snapped Sucked out it up. and yeah. he learned how to deal with it. And I think that's a good example. It is I a good example of Half-Blood Prince for some reason, because that's kind of the book where they, they kind of get to have, I don't say they have a normal life, but, you know, they play Quidditch and they have, you know, the dating issues. Uh-huh. And obviously there's some tension and some grief, but they're, they're trying to get along through it. Right. Yeah. Well, I, lo- I mean, actually, I am one of those sadistic bastards that loves Order of the Phoenix. Just loves it to pieces. Loved Harry in it. Loved, you know, loved where the character went because I thought that that was a very realistic reaction for a 15-year-old boy. 
I thought that was interesting that he was actually more emo in Order of the Phoenix almost yeah. than he was in Half-Blood Prince. Like, by then, he was just, you know, he was kind of dealing with it. Like, it told him, this is what's actually important, you know. I, I'm pretty sure that that had to be. I mean, Harry just had to suck it up and do what he had to do. I mean, and at some point in our lives, all of us just have to suck it up and do what we have to do. Like, I was talking to Jen this earlier this week, and Jen is having a horrible year. Just things are not going well for her. And she's like, you know, sometimes you have bad, bad years, but you just have to keep trucking, you know? And that's kind of how it is. Life is just all about... Yeah, well, and you can imagine Jen saying that. She would have said, well, sometimes you just have bad years. <laughs> you cannot sometimes. do a Southern accent. You really I can't. Know. We have all kinds of strange... I mean, obviously, there's the very famous, I'm fixing to do something, you know, down here. But oh, yeah. I find myself saying, um, well, I might should have done that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, you just I'll put say those that. two words together. How did you... Why did you do that? And I was like, no, it's not that I should have. I might should I have. Might We're should not have. sure. Yeah, well, yeah. what's this really funny is like... Stone. <laughs> we just don't have enough tenses in English. Like, <laughs> exactly. French, like, even French has, like... And Amelia's gonna... I am me and tell me that I'm getting this wrong, but like French has text like tenses that are used very rarely. But like we maybe should do this in the future, but they wouldn't say we maybe. Sh- that would be like one word verb tense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one verb tense. Well, yeah, and French and Spanish have the y'all tense. You know, yeah, y'all. I mean, it. You know, kids in high school grasp this immediately. We're just oh, like, oh, yeah. the y'all tense. Oh yeah, why don't you use it more often? I know. That's awesome. it's like that'd be so perfect. Yeah, that'd be so convenient. I get made fun of around here a lot for saying y'all, all y'all, and all y'all. But y'all is pretty common around here. But all y'all is not very common around here. But it should be. Yeah, I'm all like, y'all. Well, I'm like all y'all. Like y'all is like three or four people, maybe. All y'all is like when I'm talking to a classroom of people. <laughs> when I'm talking to all like my toddlers. All right, all y'all need to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> You need to pop a squat. I say that, too. This has officially <laughs> been, like, the most spastic podcast we have ever had. I will go on I record know. as saying that. I, but I knew and, as soon as you And for us, it was that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew as soon as you told me, Renna, that it was just going to be me and you and Cleo. I was like, oh, yeah. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> Ryan's usually over here going, stop. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you guys are not being nice. <laughs> it's like there's just different kinds of nice. That's all. Rena and I just have a different philosophy on life. I wish you could see me right now. I have one, two, three, four, five kittens on my in my lap. And one of them is underneath of my laptop right now because it's warm there. Oh. <laughs> oh, take a picture and send it to I Can Hash Cheeseburger. Let's say it's like those cat macros where it says I'm from tech support. Although my personal favorite now has got to be the fail blog. I've I've been there. I don't don't have it on a feed, but yeah, I've I've been there. Your shipment of fail has arrived. Yeah, there's just some good ones. Oh yes, it is the funniest thing in the world. Like there was one yesterday where it was a. It's like for phone service or for nine one one dial nine nine nine, and then you look at the phone, and the phone only has three buttons: one, two, and three. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. My favorite teacher in high school had um, motivational posters from Despair dot com. I love it. I was like, nobody from the school board has been in your classroom, have they? What was my favorite one? Um, Ambition, and it had a picture of the McDonald's fries on it. <laughs> like, not everybody gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, snap. Yes, yes, some of you will be flipping burgers for the rest of your life. 
and there's nothing wrong with flipping burgers. Like if that's your level, if that's your skill level, flip hamburgers. They flip <laughs> and the shit flip. out of those burgers, man. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Own it, man. Be the best damn burger flipper in the world. Rocket. <laughs> We Definitely. used to have this joke. I went to a liberal arts college, and so, you know, we always had this joke that we were going to be sitting out on the street, you know, the highway, and it would be like, liberal arts major will think for food. I mean, it was yeah. so bad <laughs> to come out of there and teach. Oh, well, man. yeah, we used, I, uh, I used to have a bumper sticker that said, um, I'm a liberal arts major. Would you like fries with that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went to college um, the first time uh, I got my original undergraduate degree was in music education. My dad was pretty much convinced that I was getting a degree to be a street musician. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's what he thought. And it was just not a pleasant experience. But, you know, now I, I go back and I, I talk to my friends from college and I think maybe, and this has not even been that long, but maybe five people out of the group that I graduated with of 50, maybe five are still teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just, and everybody else is, you know, some people are still in music. Like one guy actually moved to Hollywood and he writes the soundtrack for CSI, but that's cool. Yeah. I mean, some people are doing that. Somebody is a Mm -hmm. repair man and you know, that's a very specialized skill. And then somebody else is like working for a company that sells musical instruments, but everybody else is like out here's the thing okay where it's a profession where i'm about to go on a rant because i'm an education student it's a profession where you're basically going to require me to get a master's degree but you're only going to pay me twenty eight thousand dollars a year straight out of college how am i supposed i was i was literally telling my dad i was like this is what i want to do for the rest of my life but i there's no way i'm going to be able to live on my own right out of college and that's going to be extremely frustrating and he's like well you're just going to have to marry an engineer Because like that's what K State's really famous for. I have a really good engineering college, but I think teachers need to be paid more. I honest like yes. think about the things that you ask us to put up with. Parents, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, like you know they and they every year they demand more and more out of teachers, and they don't get compensated. For My the time. aunt is a kindergarten teacher, and she puts up with so much shit. I can't even tell you. And. Her, the school system she was in was so bad, they basically disbanded it and moved everybody to different schools. But before then, it was called Kingston, and she was talking to somebody in line at a Home Depot, and they said, well, how do you get to Kingston? And she said, well, you go to hell and you turn left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand that. I really can. I mean, especially, it's it's bad enough when you teach one of the core subjects and that's your area of expertise or you're one of like an elementary school teacher where you do a little bit of everything and you know you teach a core subject everybody has to take that class you know I was doing music which is not a required class by any stretch of the imagination and it's one of those things where you really just want to punch these kids in the face and just be like look if you don't want to be here you are wasting my time you don't need this class to graduate you don't have to be here if you have it this much Honest to God, that's kind of what scares me about uh, being an English teacher because I I was originally going to be a music education student and then I discovered that I don't like myself enough to be in a a practice room by myself for eight hours a day. Um, But yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, I really can't stand to be in the same room with me for like eight hours. This just (laughs) is not going to work. So yeah, uh, I changed my uh, major to English education and I'm just really nervous because I'm kind of a perfectionist. And uh, so I don't know. I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see how I deal with, because no matter what you say, you can learn certain things about writing, but you're either born a storyteller or you're not. 
I really do believe that. Like you, you either have that ability to tell a story and tell it really well, or you just don't. So, well, I think a lot of people are either capable of learning or they're yeah. not. I mean, they're either yeah. capable of taking it in and doing something with it, or taking criticism. Just yeah, not going to get it. I think that's yeah. a big part of it is being able to take criticism because that was a big problem that I ran into, and and a lot of it wasn't necessarily the kids; it was the parents. The parents did not want to hear that their child, little Johnny, little Timmy, little Harmony Sue, was mm-hmm. not the greatest, you know, was not God's gift to the clarinet. You know, yeah. <laughs> they, they don't want to accept that their kid might just be ordinary because we've conditioned people now to where ordinary isn't good enough. And you have to be excellent and you have to be perfect. And, and people don't want to hear that, okay, you know, your child is miserable in this class and I'm pretty miserable having to deal with them. So please focus their attention elsewhere because otherwise one of us is going to crack. You know, and, and, <laughs> well, and it's you, that whole self-esteem movement of everybody gets a gold star, or whether they really deserve it or not. And so then it's like, why aren't you giving my child their gold star? Right. You know, yes. Exactly. Well, same thing. Like, okay. And it's also we're back. To, we're going back to fandom and and back to authors and stuff like that um, with this conversation. But like, you know, when I'm beta reading for somebody. And they send me back an email and they, you know, well, you just didn't make me feel good about the story. Well, I'm sorry. There just that wasn't much to feel good about. I, I told, I've, been, I've told more than one author. Um, I have a very particular style of editing. If you don't like what I'm doing, you can certainly ask for somebody else. But I will tell you that you are going to learn a lot when you write with me, you know. And but I but I also pick I'm also kind of one of those sadistic people that just picks my beta readers based on how harsh, harsh they are and the harsher they are the happier it makes me because you know I, you really kind of want to learn stuff and I think if you're going to put something out to the public you know if you're going to release a CD if you're going to publish a best selling uh, book if you're going to publish a fan fiction you know you, you kind of have to be about publishing it's even yeah. about just. Pu- just posting it somewhere if you're going to allow other people to read it you have to acknowledge that they are going to form an opinion of it and if you ask people to tell you what they think of something they're going to tell you and it's not even that it's it's it goes beyond that it goes you know anytime you write a paper to hand in for a grade anytime you go to an audition every time that you hand in anything that you have to create i mean it's a little different when you're handing in like math homework or you're writing scientific proofs or something I mean those don't get graded on the creativity aspect of it but you know as soon as you put anything out there in any form if it's a magazine article if it's a post on your live journal once you put it out there you are opening it up for criticism and you have to be able to accept that and that I think is the big problem with the self-esteem movement is now it's kind of dovetailed off of this whole internet movement where anybody can be famous for nothing and what happens is, you know, the cyberbullying, it's, you know, people being anonymously mean to each other and it's, it's undercutting all this self-esteem movement because nobody knows how to, it's the coping mechanisms. Nobody knows right. how to deal with not being loved. And nobody knows how to deal. And nobody, I think we don't teach how to do constructive criticism either, really, because it's so, it's so um, not PC to do it. If somebody posts something on their live journal and then I, and it's happened to me before and I maybe post that perhaps that wasn't a very smart direction to take the character in, that, that it kind of was undermining all this work that they've been doing or something, you know, and people get very upset. It's like, well, that's my opinion. And I think maybe you've written yourself into a hole that you're going to have a hard time getting out of. I'm just trying to help you out. (laughs) 
well, you know? And I, I try to say things like, and this was more from, you know, writing workshops I had when I was in grad school, which I didn't finish, you know, by the way. Let me just undermine my credibility there. I would try to say things like, you know, this part right here is kind of, it's not working for me. Have you thought about trying to do it maybe this way? Yeah. Or have you thought about, you know, and that kind of gives them the opportunity to be like, I'll, well, I mean, I'm I'll not trying to that. Say, okay. Like, I'm not trying to say that I post incredibly mean things all the time. I, <laughs> I know how to phrase it correctly so that people take it the right way. But even, you know, even some of the friends that I have on PFW, I've told them I won't, I won't read their stuff anymore because if you ask me for my opinion – and then I offer some suggestions. That's all they are is suggestions. And it's not personal. <laughs> like, well, have you read the – it's the, the poem. It's by a guy named Taylor Molly. And it says, he says the problem with teachers is what's a kid going to learn from someone who decided his best option in life was to become a teacher? He reminds the other dinner guests that it's true what they say about teachers. Those who can do, those who can't teach. I decide to bite my tongue instead of his and resist the <laughs> temptation to remind the other dinner guests that it's also true what they say about lawyers because we're <laughs> eating after all. And this is Oops. polite company. I mean, you're a teacher, Taylor. He says, be honest. What do you make? And I wish he hadn't done that. Asked me <laughs> to be honest because you see, I have a policy about honesty and ass kicking. If you ask for it, I have to let you have it. You want to know what I make? I make kids work harder than they ever thought they could. I can make a C-plus feel like a Congressional Medal of Honor and an A-minus feel like a slap in the face. How dare you waste my time with anything less than your very best. I make kids sit through 40 minutes of study hall in absolute silence. No, you may not work in groups. No, you may not ask a question. Why won't I let you get a drink of water? Because you're not thirsty. You're bored. That's why. I make parents tremble in fear when I call home. I hope I haven't called at a bad time. I just wanted to talk to you of something about Billy said today. Billy said, leave the kid alone. I still cry sometimes, don't you? And it was the noblest act of courage I have ever seen. I make parents see their children for who they are and what they can be. You want to know what I make? I make kids wonder. I make them question. I make them criticize. I make them apologize and mean it. I make them write, 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 and then I make them read. I make them spell definitely beautiful, definitely beautiful, definitely beautiful over and over and over again until they will never misspell either one of those words again. I make them show all their work in math, and I make them hide it on their final drafts in English. I make Ooh. them understand that if you've got brains and you follow your heart, and if someone ever tries to judge you by what you make, then you can give them the finger. Let me break it down for you so that you know what I say is true. I make a goddamn difference. Now, what about you? <laughs> Yay! That you is go. like That's amazing. my favorite poem ever. I need I to go. give it to my aunt. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, seriously. It's what Do Teachers Make by Taylor Molly. It's the best poem ever. But yeah, it's that whole policy about honesty and ass kicking <laughs> okay well i think we're so probably we've had a great conversation. oh my god we're both trying to close it 
We both had the same thought at the same time. I was about to say, if there were any other questions you had, like, you know, written down that we wandered away from. Okay, here's one question that I did have a question about, and this is a procedural thing. When you sit down to do, you know, you do the movies in 15 minutes, and personally, I think 300 is one of the funniest damn things I've ever read in my life. I walked out of that movie. I have to go read that, I guess. Go back and read the, the movies in 15 minutes about it, because my God, I have never laughed so hard in my entire life. How? What is your procedure for doing that? I mean, obviously you have to appreciate the movie in some way to sit through it long enough to do a parody of it. But what makes a good movie to do a parody of? My rule of thumb is that if it's got swords in it, it's probably going to be a good one. A lot of times I just go see a movie and I've noticed that if I plan on doing it, it it's not going to happen. It's I'm such a flake that way. I have to come out of it and just go, oh, my God, OK, I have to do this. You know, like right. I went to see Wanted and I came out of it and I was like, oh, my God, this this has to be done. This has to be done. So, you know, I sit down and I usually have a couple of lines already in my head and I write out of order anyway. So I start trying to put down anything I can think of and kind of flesh it out and keep kind of going over it and over it. And eventually you kind of look up and you go, oh, my God, it's done. Okay. I I took a notebook into King Arthur and missed so much of the movie because I was trying to write down what happened that I, I didn't do that again. And when I did the book, I actually had the DVDs in front of me. And so... I think I must have watched Titanic about 42 times. I had it on like a three-day loop. Nice. I was, I was crazy by the end of that. I was like, you know, Rose a bad jack. And I mean, it was just like, you know, it was really kind of scary. But, um, you know, I actually kind of started to appreciate the movie. It was like Stockholm Syndrome by the end of it. And I was just <laughs> like, you know what? I Leo DiCaprio's movies, I like about one in ten. I'm not going to lie to you. I like Catch Me If You Can and... Romeo and Juliet. And that's it. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> he he carries a lot of Titanic on his back. He really does. Which oh, I yeah, have not realized. Funny story about Titanic. I was really... I, I was young when it came out. I wasn't old enough to go see it in theaters. And my best friend, her mom bought him for her the day that it came out on double VHS. I remember this very well. I, and, I was in the video working when that came out, yeah. Right. And um, my mom wouldn't let me see it. So I arranged to have a sleepover with her that Friday after it came out. Cause it came out like on Tuesday. And um, I went over to her house and we watched Titanic and ate a whole container of Oreos, like a whole bag <laughs> of Oreos, watching this movie. I was like, I was like, a, like 10 or 11. And I wasn't allowed to watch it because it had sex in it. <laughs> and I watched it anyway. And that scene where um, they're in the car and they fog yeah. the car up in the, the hands. hands. Yeah, that changed my life. <laughs> in all the wrong way. <laughs> and like, I tried to watch it the other day and I was like, oh, this is horrible. Why did I think this is amazing? Oh, my God. I was a freshman in college, so I remember going to see it at the theater, and there were, like, these teenage, I say teenage, like, 13-year-old girls behind me going, Leo! Leo! <laughs> I do, it's you like know, I, the, only reason, the only reason that I really remembered going when I went to see that movie very distinctly is because that was one of the first times I got to drive by myself. <laughs> was when I took nice. my like when I got to take my friends somewhere in my car, because up until that point, I was not allowed to have people in my car. I could drive myself wherever I wanted to go, but my parents would not let me 
carry other kids in the car with me. And so I remember, but going to see Titanic, that was the first time I got to like get in the car and go pick up my friends and we all got to go to the movie together. And so that was why it was a big deal for me. No, but that, that was like, the t- that was my Titanic. I mean, I didn't even particularly enjoy the movie, but I, or at the time, I, I guess I was upset because I didn't have a boyfriend to go see the movie with or whatever. But I remember that because I got to drive myself to that movie for the first time. And it was exciting. That's, yeah. I think I went with like an extended family. And I was just like, I was so over it before it was even started. I had so many oh, issues with that movie. I went and saw, yeah. you know, talk about an awkward movie to see with your extended family. I went and saw Sex and, Sex and the City with my mother. Oh my God. And like my mom had loved the show, but she only ever saw it when it was on TBS. Oh, yeah. So she did not ever realize exactly how much sex was in the city. (laughs) It was incredibly awkward. (laughs) The most awkward movie I ever watched with my parents uh, knocked up the unrated version (gasps) with my mother and father. (laughs) I'm laughing. My dad's over here laughing. We're looking at each other like... I don't want to know why you know that that's funny, especially like all the scenes with like, I obviously I understand my dad has had sex, obviously, (laughs) but the scenes like with the drug use and that kind of stuff. Oh my God. I'm over here cracking up. My dad's cracking up. We're looking at each other. My mom's like, both of you are not allowed to talk to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, like I know what my dad was like in college, but he doesn't not want to know what I'm like in college either. So we're just like, yeah, that one and the unrated version of wedding crashers. Both I watched with my parents. My that friend, one of my really good friends saw broke back mountain with her grandmother. Oh God. Oh no. <laughs> oh wow. That, that was one of the best things ever. <laughs> I think that's but horrifying. I still I haven't saw- seen broke back mountain. I saw Brokeback Mountain with a theater full of gay men in cowboy hats, which was fantastic. It was the only oh, theater in Alabama showing it. It was like everything was sold out except the 10 p.m. showing. People were coming in on buses to see it. Oh, I'm sure. And it was like we had a friend of ours with us who was just like, well, if I'd known it was the social event of the season, I would have worn my cowboy hat. I mean, people <laughs> in boots and hats. And I mean, oh, my God, it was so fantastic. And then it was just dead silent through the whole movie. It was like this religious experience that they, they hadn't expected it to be so, you know, moving. And so I think everybody was like kind of hiding their cowboy hat when they left. Kind of like, oh, that, that wasn't funny. Like I thought <laughs> they're walking out with their spurs between their legs. <laughs> Let's just put those in our pockets. Let's just pretend yeah. we didn't bring those. Mm. I th- on a completely different level, I think one of the most awkward movies I saw with um, my mother was Phantom of the Opera because she loves the show. And so I didn't know any of the songs. So they start playing the big Phantom of the Opera theme when he shows up and I'm like laying in the seat next to me crying with laughter. It was just like <laughs> the funniest damn thing I'd ever heard in my life. And she was like, this is a very touching moment. I went and saw Mama Mia with my mom. I've seen the stage play. And I so love I, four the stage times. play. You know, I think ABBA is a little slice of fabulous because, I mean, how can you not like ABBA? I mean, they're just too damn happy. You know, Pierce, I've written Pierce Brosnan cannot sing. <laughs> this is what I hear. And the problem with that is the character he is playing is the male lead. <laughs> and yeah. in a musical, 
that requires quite a bit of singing. You know, then and there's the whole part where they have Colin Firth playing a gay man, which just made me want to cry. (laughs) I know. It's horrible. It's like, okay, John Berriman is this guy that plays this character in the UK, and he's extremely popular. But I didn't realize for, like, the first month or so that I was watching while I was watching the show that he's actually gay in real life. Like, oh, you didn't hardcore. know that. Yeah, I didn't know that for like wow. the first month. Because, like, because okay, you have to understand something about me. When I'm watching something, I the whole time I'm like, I am not gonna fangirl this. I'm not gonna spend all of my time on Wikipedia looking up history. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna save all the photos I can find to my computer. And then, like two weeks later, everything on my computer is Doctor Who and Torchwood and whatever. But I was, I always have this period of denial where I'm like, I'm so much better than this series, and it's never true. And um, so that was the case with Torchwood. So I was watching, um, I watched the first season and then the second season of Doctor Who and the first season and the second season of Torchwood without realizing that John Barrowman is gay. And not just gay, gay. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, bless his heart, he's done great things for the gay community in the UK. Great things. But I didn't realize he was gay. And so the first time I watched an interview with him where he's talking about his partner, Scott, I literally had to stop the YouTube video and was like crying. I was like, it's just not fair. Because it is. Really, celebrities being gay is no real skin off anybody's teeth and that we're not going to end up with them anyway. So it doesn't really upset me. Yeah, but that's true enough. Oh, like yeah. I was explaining, I was having, I was like, I was like, I love David Tennant. He's like my dream guy, Scottish, thirty-five to forty. <laughs> Again, also loves Shakespeare. Also, incre- extremely intelligent and well-spoken. So, like all of those things are like, ooh, like my little head like comes off of my neck and spins around every time he talks. But anyway, I was explaining one of my persons like, but you know, I just couldn't be with him because a he's prettier than me, and b if I sat on him, I would break him. And then I was like. <laughs> I had this thought, I had this thought. I was like dot dot dot. I was like not that any of that matters because those are like practical problems that will never be an issue. She's like, "Gee, you need to go for a walk and get some air." Exactly why you will never be with a celebrity is for those kind of reasons and not the fact that they're a celebrity and you you may know who they are but they will, they will never, never ever know you. who I am. Of course, of course, you know, John uh, I'm uh, you know, John's going to play um Rafe in in the adaptation of my original novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my happy little world <laughs> where it gets oh, sorry, we'll where it fantastic. sells a million and billion copies and they make movies and TV shows out of it. I, I do always like finding out who authors intended though. Like I I was fascinated when you know J.K. Rowling said she thought of you know this actor or this actor. I always wanted to know who her entire list was. Even though it would be kind of awkward to be like, it wasn't the guy playing him, actually. You know? It was yeah. someone else. You know, but- I'm sure she'll come out. I'm sure they'll do an interview and she'll actually reveal that stuff after the movies are done shooting. <laughs> I swear, though, if, if Alan Rickman was not meant for Snape, I don't know how that's possible. Because there were oh, yeah. a couple of books midway through where it was like she was like transcribing the way he talked or something. It was oh, almost yeah. kind of creepy. I've never heard anyone's voice described in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Alan Rickman has a very, like, when Alan Rickman talks, it's like drinking good bourbon whiskey. You know, it kind of, like, it's just warm and smooth all the way down and, like, <laughs> settles in your stomach and it makes you kind of lightheaded. Drinking bourbon whiskey is like listening to Alan Rickman talk. There you and go. I think he could, like, record the phone book and people would buy it. <laughs> 
I know, I know. And, like, it's not even that he's British, which I'm such an Anglophile and such a stereotypical American. I think that's incredibly sexy, the British accent. But it's that he talks, like, from the back of his throat, and he it's like every word he thinks about before he says, it's just incredibly... Yes, and this is the girl who claims she's not a fangirl. No, I'm not. But, like, okay, I will fangirl actors because I am a terrible actress. I tried to act in, in high school. We had we did this play called Lost in Yonkers. I was the grandma because I always got casted <laughs> as this short, fat bitch. Like, I was her. I was grandma in Lost in Yonkers, and I was the character of Melissa in Necessary Targets. And, um, which is a, is a great, which was kind of interesting because I... Did not know that I was going to turn into Melissa in my 20s, but I did. But the last, literally, the last time I was on stage, and I I will not go on stage anymore because this happened. I fell down the stairs of the set during the last night of the show and broke the banner of the stairs. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I am like, I am... And I'm I'm not very good with memorizing things, and so I can always remember like the gist of what the pl- author intended for you to say, but never like word for word what the author intended you to say. And as an author, that would drive me batshit crazy. <laughs> so I just don't act anymore. My roommates in college did a lot of college theater, community theater, and I always loved to go see them do that. And I used to run lines with them when they needed to practice, and I would you know, play any other character. I mean, it would just be us sitting on the couch, but I think I always secretly kind of wanted to be an actor, but just falling down and breaking things reminded me. My, um, one of my roommates was in Romeo and Juliet, kind of in a Shakespeare in the Park thing, and they did it as a comedy, which was great in the first place, and she played Mercutio, so when she got stabbed, she threw out handfuls of, like, red heart-shaped glitter, and it was really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but poor, poor Juliet, they're doing the balcony scene, And they had, like, I don't even remember what it was, but they had two boxes or something and then a ladder stretched horizontally over it to be the balcony. She fell off it, bashed her head as she went down. You heard this audible bonk sound. The entire audience sitting here on the grass went, oh. Romeo leans over and goes, art thou okay? the entire rest of the scene clutching her head oh. and she milked it for all it was worth she was fantastic the whole audience was going oh my god it was the most That's awesome thing awesome. that is awesome on that very awesome note I guess we will wrap this up I want to give a very very big thank you to Cleo for coming in and being interviewed tonight Yay. we had a lot of fun you'll have to come back Yes, you can come back anytime you'd like. Yeah. Good times. Great oldies. Okay, so, yes, I guess we'll wrap this up. So, good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Visit us at proofwexchange.com. Um, if you need help spelling that like I probably would, because what the hell kind of word is put for? It's P-O-U-F-W-A-H. Oh, no, H. All right, let me start again. (laughs) (laughs) P-O-U-F-A. That's not it either. (laughs) Who named this thing? Oh, my God. (laughs) P-O-U-F-W-A. 
Is that right? It's P O U F W A. Can you say it so people can understand you? You're like P O U F W A. The website again for the last time is PuffWarExchange.com. P O U F W A Exchange.com. Holy crap! This is so exciting! Previously on Perfect Weekly. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm Lady G. And I'm Jen's mom. Hi, y'all. <laughs> How's it going? Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. We would never ever say Snape scathes. We would say Snape said scathingly. 640,000 years ago, that third of America blew up. Boys and I girls, <laughs> there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Vitrificus Totalis. Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. (laughs) Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? (laughs) I want to say that. Chief, please, I can't. Don't. You have to say only good things. I will cry if you say something negative about this scene. I love. I'm not going to say. I'm not made of stone. I love how they plan to have sex at six. Yeah, six o'clock. I know. <laughs> My question was, when do they eat dinner? You have to picture he's in the shower, and he's staring down, and he's just like, this is it. <laughs> he's having a little conversation with his friend. <laughs> Today, I become a man. And then they go, is this happening? And he's like, yes. I don't think he said it like that. Oh, yes, he did. He gasped it I th- out. I think all of his concentration is elsewhere at the moment. He's like, yes. No, that like completely ruined my mental manly image. He's beating his chest. He's ravaging her. Not, no, he's, he's not. not. Yes. He's a virgin. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, <laughs> awkward kid who we think has ED. No, no, no. We don't think that. You think that. Do you? own a pig. No, but I do have a goat. Really? We don't have a lawnmower. What's the goat's name? Bernard. Oh my god, I'm not gonna lie. I have to- I have no idea what's going on. Somebody explain to me what just happened. Have you been here the whole time? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Nate, I love him oh. and he's good and we're gonna find out he's good and, and there Jen. is gold at the end of the rainbow, darn it! So, and everybody just looks at me like I'm retarded, but I laugh, and it's hysterical to me. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. And I run after my car! <laughs> I've just finished taking a test on what's your seduction style. I have got to take that test. I don't know what that noise was that came out of Gambin's mouth, but I think it caused some women in the audience to become infertile. Oh, I love the social intercourse so married. It gets me so excited for the guy I married. This is like the Manhattan Project. Superman is Moses. Honestly, don't you people read? Okay. Superman is not Moses. Moses is dependent on Aaron. See, Batman depends on Robin. If you're going to do that. Moses the guy that was lost in the desert for like 40 years? That just got inspired confidence and crime-fighting ability. There's like auditoriums with movies that you can go in and sit and watch. Not while on the toilet. There's no way we have wank. We don't care enough about the fans of to have wank. I swear to God, Ryan, if you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Jen got pregnant on a boat. You know how hard it would be to impregnate yourself on a boat? Let's take a test. Those guys, you guys are the most dysfunctional people. These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more, too. So what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 
so sorry. Oh, come here. I'm so sorry. Come here. <laughs> I just, I just kicked my dog in the head. Butterfick weekly. Get Cam.